1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
2: Well, hello there, my friend. Thank you for tuning in to Real English Radio. I'm your host, Tony Kaizen. And I hope you are ready for your mind to be blown out the back of your head because I've got some black mirror level shit for you today, my friend. You might be surprised to know that at this very moment, there are human beings who possess a technology that's capable of monitoring your brain waves and decoding them to see how you're feeling, if you're paying attention, what you're paying attention to, and in some cases, even what you're thinking about. In other words, there's a select group of people who possess a device that can tell what you're thinking about by peeking inside your brain without having to insert anything into your body. It can also tell whether you're paying attention or not. It can tell how you're feeling at the moment. And it can do this with nothing more than a wearable device like some earbuds or a headband. I was certainly surprised to know that this technology has existed and been used for over four years, and I'm just now hearing about it after listening to a speech that was given at the World Economic Forum at Davos this year. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what is the World Economic Forum and what is Davos? So the World Economic Forum, and just so you know, some people will say economic, some people will say economic. If you ask me, it's the same thing. It's just a difference of how you grew up saying it. So say it however you want, economic, economic, tomato, tomato, right? So the World Economic Forum is a non-profit organization, theoretically, that hosts an annual meeting of global leaders, including business executives, politicians, and academics, and they discuss and collaborate on global issues such as economic growth, poverty reduction, and environmental sustainability. And the forum also conducts research and publishes reports on topics related to global economic and social development, okay? So it's basically like a conference where these important people talk about important issues and how we're going to solve them, at least in theory. Okay. Now, Davos is actually a ski resort in Zurich, Switzerland. But the reason it's so famous is because every January, Davos is the host of this annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. Okay. So the World Economic Forum is the conference. Davos is the location. And so the woman who gave this speech at Davos was Ms. Nita Farahani, and she is a distinguished professor of law and philosophy at Duke Law School, holding various degrees in the areas of bioethics, genetics, developmental biology, and philosophy from universities such as Harvard, Dartmouth, and Duke University. So you're about to hear professor, I guess I should say doctor, because she has a PhD. So Dr. Farahani speak about this incredibly impressive yet frightening technology, that has the potential to drastically redefine the right to privacy as we know it, okay? So this is a relatively long speech, but I'm going to break it into parts and kind of explain things along the way to make sure you're following along. But Dr. Farahani is going to be doing most of the talking, so please just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for this fucking mind-blowing technology, my friends. If you are a Patreon subscriber, then you have access to the script, the show notes, the vocabulary guide. I've posted this video or the, the entire speech, I should say, in the show notes. So you can watch as you listen if you want to or listen and follow along with the script to read the explanations and everything. But um, I'm, doing, I'm going to... I'm I'm going to... I am going to blah. blah, blah, blah. can not fucking talk today. I'm going to do my best to explain things along the way. To make sure you understand at least the main idea of what's being said all right so that is it with this fucking long ass introduction my friend thank you for staying with me through that entire thing now let's get into this speech all right let's get started hello everybody i'm nicholas
1: thompson i'm the ceo of the atlantic and i will be your moderator today we are going to have an incredible session star of the show is nita farahani she is a futurist and legal ethicist at duke And she's so smart and so interesting. You're going to learn a ton. This is how it's
2: going to work. We're going to watch a short video. She's going to come on stage and talk. And then we're going to do a little Q&A, questions from the audience. And that'll be a wrap. And you'll leave enlightened and excited. So first off, a video. Uh, It's going to make you
1: see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished.
2: You're in Actually, I didn't realize until now. So that was just the introduction, the host or the moderator of this conference was basically telling the crowd what's about to happen. You're gonna watch a video, then Ms. Farahani will come on stage. She'll talk and answer questions, etc. And then immediately a video starts playing at the conference. They're watching it on this big screen just in case that was confusing to you. So what you're gonna hear first is a short video basically introducing the technology uh, in, how can I say this, with an example of a real world situation. So she's going to be describing what life would be like with this technology. That's what you're about to hear. OK, now let's do it.
1: active and find love. Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished. Your inbox is under control and you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song, sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure, your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left, and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor. Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home, jamming to the music, with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees brainwave data from the past year they have compelling evidence that one of your co-workers has committed massive wire fraud now they're looking for his co-conspirators you discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your co-worker and the people he has been working with while you know you're innocent of any crime you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture shaking
2: You remove your earbuds. The fuck out of here, man. (sighs) Okay, my friend, let me try to summarize what you just heard, just in case it wasn't totally clear. So, again, this short, (laughs) you know, informational video, or I guess I should say educational video, this short product video, I don't know what you even call it, this warning, I don't know. This video is describing. What these people believe the future will look like. So imagine you're in the office and you have on these earbuds that your company gave to you. And these earbuds can not only play music and be used for video calls, but they also monitor your brainwave activity. They monitor your brainwave activity. I had to say that twice just to make sure it kind of set into your mind a little bit, like what that actually means, your company gives you some earbuds and says, hey, we're, we're going to be watching the way your brain is functioning. We're going to be monitoring your brain activity while you're here at work. Okay. And so while you're working, your employers can see not only if you're paying attention to your work or if you're, if you're daydreaming or if you're distracted, they'll be able to tell Whether or not you're fantasizing about having sex with one of your coworkers, They're going to monitor your brainwave activity. I'm going to be saying that throughout this episode until it fucking sets in. They're going to monitor your brainwave activity. They're going to be able to know how you're feeling. If you're actually paying attention at work or if you're scrolling on your phone. They'll be able to tell what you're paying attention to. Man, you'll be able, you won't even need a physical mouse to operate your, your, your computer anymore. Just mentally, you'll be able to move the mouse or the, the cursor, I should say, across the screen. You'll be able to type on the computer with your thoughts alone. Because this brainwave decoding technology will know and understand that you want something to be done on the computer just by the way your brain, just by the activity in your brain. It'll get to the point where they'll be able to tell. Let's imagine you work at a bank. Lots of transactions, lots of money moving from one place to another. If you decide to commit fraud, embezzle money from the bank, you're stealing money from this bank. They will be able to know based off of the brain activity they've been monitoring while you're at work. You understand? So then the government will be able to come in and say, we can prove based on your brain activity. You committed this crime. And then they're going to be looking for the co-conspirators. They'll see who else in the building, who who else's brainwaves were synchronized with this guy's brainwaves. Anybody who has synchronized brainwaves must be a suspect. They must be working with this guy. We can tell by the matching brainwaves that we've been monitoring with these wireless earbuds. They're going to monitor your brain activity. I don't even know what else to say, man. Let's, let's fucking, let's continue. Now let's hear Ms. Farahani detail the future that is waiting for us. Matter of fact, the future that's already here, my friend, please prepare yourself.
0: What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. You've heard a lot about AI over the past few years. Here at Davos, it's been the talk of the hour. But I want to talk about it in a different way, which is the ability to decode brainwave activity. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. Consider this, the average person thinks thousands of thoughts each day. As a thought takes form, like a math calculation, you're happy, you're tired, you're hungry, you're elated. Neurons are firing in your brain emitting tiny electrical discharges. As a particular thought takes form, hundreds of thousands of neurons fire in characteristic patterns that can be decoded with EEG or electroencephalography and AI powered devices. In fact, what you're seeing here is my brain activity while I'm wearing a simple device like the one on the right. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. It used to be that there was very little we could tell from EEG activity.
2: Actually, let me stop really quick and and comment on the last thing she said. She said, "We're not talking about devices that we implant. They're not talking about implanting some chip into your brain or putting something under your skin or anything like that. We're talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. And a Fitbit, F-I-T-B-I-T, Fitbit, is a device, a wearable." electronic device that monitors, I believe, how many steps you take. It can monitor your heart rate. You know, a lot of people use it who are um, really into like health and wellness and they live an active lifestyle and they're working out, trying to stay healthy. They'll wear the Fitbit to say, oh, I took 15,000 steps today. I was very active or I got my heart rate above 120 or something. That's a Fitbit. So she's basically saying they've now created a similar device but it doesn't measure just your heart rate or how many steps you took. It's measuring your brainwave activity. They're going to measure and monitor your brainwave activity. (laughs) Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. Let's continue.
0: I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. It used to be that there was very little we could tell from EEG activity but already using consumer wearable devices. These are headbands, uh, hats that have sensors that can pick up your brainwave activity, earbuds, headphones, tiny tattoos that you can wear behind your ear. We can pick up emotional states, like are you happy or sad or angry? We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind. All
2: right, really quick, let me stop. Notice how she keeps saying pick up. Now you might know this phrasal verb has multiple meanings depending on the context, but in this, in this context, she's basically saying we can be aware of, we can register, we can record these things that your brain is transmitting. We can pick them up. They're detectable is what she's saying. We can detect these things with our technology. So let me go back a couple of seconds and play it again.
0: Earbuds, headphones, tiny tattoos that you can wear behind your ear. We can pick up Emotional states, like are you happy or sad or angry? We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind. Simple shapes, numbers, your pin number to your bank account. It's not just your brain activity here that we can pick up, we can also pick up your brain activity in different places, like as your neurons fire from your brain down your arm and send signals to your hand to tell you how to type, Move. All of that could be decoded through electromyography, and that's what you're seeing here is a device now in the form of a simple wearable watch that can pick up that activity. And one of the pivotal acquisitions of the field, Meta acquired this company, Control Labs, in 2019, because major tech companies are investing and in helping to make these devices universally applicable as the way in which we interact with the rest of our technology. In fact, the coming future, and I mean near-term future, is these devices being the primary way in which we interact with all of the rest of our technology. Rather than a mouse or a keyboard, you can simply swipe with your mind, move your hand more seamlessly when you're in VR or AR, use your brain as the way in which you interact with all of the rest of your technology which is an exciting and promising future but also a potentially scary
1: one
2: a fucking terrifying one i'm sorry i just had to stop really quick just to make it clear she's now talking about not just the the devices that will be like earbuds or headbands that will be monitoring brain but the company meta formerly known as facebook three years ago well this is 2023 so three years yeah about three years ago invested or acquired a company, which is a formal way of saying they bought a company that is working on this technology that is making a a wearable device. If you're watching this video, you can see it looks almost like a gigantic watch. So there's a wristband and this gigantic, you know, electronic device that sits on your wrist and it will be able to, I guess, monitor the way you move your hands and fingers. And the way you move your hands and fingers sends signals back and forth to the brain And those signals can be detected and interpreted to then do something on your phone or your computer. So just by moving your fingers in a particular way, you can move the cursor on the screen and click on things and drag things and swipe left and swipe right. Just by thinking in a certain way, you can type words on the screen without ever touching a keyboard. And she's saying in the very near future, this will be a reality for most, if not all people. We won't even need physical devices to manipulate technology the way we do now. We'll just be doing everything with our minds. They're going to monitor your brainwave activity. Let's continue. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
0: Use your brain as the way in which you interact with all of the rest of your technology, which is an exciting and promising future, but also a potentially scary one. A transformative one, one that will change the way that we interact with other people, and even how we understand ourselves. Let's take a look.
1: Because it opens up new and dynamic forms of control. This is where some of our core technologies, like EMG, come into play. Neural interfaces, when they work right, and we still have a lot of work to go here, feel like magic.
0: So if you send a, a control to your muscle saying, I want to move my finger, it starts in your brain, it goes down your spine through motor neurons, and this is an electrical signal. So you should be able to grab that electrical signal on the muscle and say, oh, okay, the user wants to move the finger.
1: What is it like to feel like pushing a button without actually pushing it? That could be as simple as, hey, I just want to move this cursor up or move it left. Well, normally I would do that by actually moving. But here, you're able to move that cursor left. And it's because you and a machine agreed which neurons mean left and which neurons mean right. You're in this constant conversation with the machine.
0: This new form of control, it requires us to build an interface that adapts to you and your environment. It's an exciting future, a seamless future. It's a future that has already arrived in many contexts throughout the world, and especially in workplaces. So it turns out that one of the most compelling early applications of this technology is to be able to decode at least some simple, effective states of individuals that can potentially improve their well-being, potentially improve productivity, but certainly transform what our lives look like in the workplace, and in our everyday activities. While we can't literally decode complex thought just yet, there's a lot that we can already decode that's quite relevant for the workplace environment. Consider the fact that right now, many workplaces have individuals who have to be awake and alert at all times in order to do their jobs well. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Take this example where this trucker decided to take a 20 hour shot for a 1500 mile ride, well exceeding the amount of time that any trucker, long haul trucker, is supposed to drive. His employer didn't discover his choices until the fatal accident that was disastrous for the company and cost many lives.
2: All right, let me stop here and just make it clear. If you're not watching this, you can't see. On the gigantic screen behind her, there's a picture of a semi truck, those big 18 wheelers that transport tons of products and goods and stuff like that. She's saying or she's giving an example of a trucker, which is a person who drives a truck professionally. They decided to take a 20 hour shot. This is a not so common way of saying they decided to drive for 20 hours straight, drive continuously for 20 hours without stopping to rest or sleep and stuff like that. So they took a 20-hour shot for a 1,500-mile ride, 1,500-mile ride, well exceeding the amount of time that a long-haul trucker is supposed to drive. But his employer didn't know about this until it was too late, until the crash. And I guess I didn't say that part. He, He drove way longer than he should have and ended up crashing and I believe hurting, possibly killing some people. And so the point is his employer had no idea this was happening until after the crash see what I'm saying? And so the idea is with this technology, we'll be creating a safer environment for the world because the employer with this technology will be able to see in real time. No, you're too sleepy to drive right now. You don't have enough focus to drive that far. Or I can see you've been driving for 12 hours already. You need to stop, pull the truck over, get some rest, do not continue driving. This, is, this wasn't possible before this technology existed, but now stuff like that will be possible and theoretically will save a lot more lives and make the world much safer. This is how they're selling the technology to us. And this is probably a cynical thing to say, I probably shouldn't say, this is how they're selling it, but this is how they're describing the benefits of this technology, okay? I just wanted to make that clear. So let's, let me go back a few seconds and play that again.
0: The fact that right now, many workplaces have individuals who have to be awake and alert at all times in order to do their jobs well sometimes that doesn't happen take this example where this trucker decided to take a 20-hour shot for a 1500 mile ride well exceeding the amount of time that any trucker long-haul trucker is supposed to drive his employer didn't discover his choices until the fatal accident that was disastrous for the company and cost many lives. But he could have known much sooner. He could have detected whether or not the trucker was entering into the earliest stages of microsleep, starting to go from being alert to tired well before it occurred. And he could have done so through a simple hat, a simple wearable hat, that has embedded electrode sensors that would pick up brainwave activity and give a score between one to five to help the employer and the employee know what stage of alertness the person was experiencing and whether or not they were starting to fall asleep. Now, you might think, okay, we have driver assist technology in cars already. Why do we need this? It's because this happens much sooner much more accurately and it gives you the real-time information that you need in order to make choices to intervene before a person is perilously exhausted. And we as a society should want that. We should want a technology that enables us to be safer, to all be able to exist in an environment where commercial drivers or individuals who need to be wide awake are wide awake when they're supposed to be. Because when they're not, the consequences are disastrous while plane crashes are much less frequent than other forms of accidents at least 16 plane crashes in the past decade have been attributed to pilot fatigue
2: all right really quick so she was showing an actual picture of this hat you can put on your head i believe there's two sensors one in the front that is um kind of rests on your forehead and then one at the back it sits just at the base of your cranium right there between the bottom of your head and the beginning of your neck right and she's saying by simply wearing this hat, the employers can know much sooner what your mental state actually is and then act accordingly, make decisions according to your current mental state in real time. Because we already have driver assist technology, the Teslas can drive themselves, the cars can sense when you're you know, leaving your lane and entering someone else's and stuff like that. But the transfer of data will happen much sooner by simply wearing this device that transmits your brain activity in real time to your employer so they can see right now, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? Are you focused? Are you too tired? All that type of stuff. And she's saying it's the same with train conductors. It's the same with airline pilots. Like simply being able to monitor their brain activity, simply monitoring their brain activity (laughs) will make the world a safer place for everyone. And she's saying we should want this technology. Society should want their brain activity to be monitored.
0: Let's continue. Is perilously exhausted. And we as a society should want that. We should want a technology that enables us to be safer, to all be able to exist in an environment where commercial drivers or individuals who need to be wide awake are wide awake when they're supposed to be. Because when they're not, the consequences are disastrous. While plane crashes are much less frequent than other forms of accidents, at least 16 plane crashes in the past decade have been attributed to pilot fatigue, which is probably why in more than 5,000 companies across the world, employees are already having their brainwave activity monitored to test for their fatigue levels. Whether it's the Beijing-Shanghai line where train conductors are required to wear hats that have sensors that pick up their brain activity or mining companies throughout the world. Employees are already having their brain activity monitored and it may very well may be something that we want to embrace as a society.
2: (sighs) All right, my friend, just to make it clear, Ms. Farahani is telling us that this technology is already being used in some parts of the world. For example, on those high-speed trains in Beijing, China, employees are already required to wear these helmets with the brain sensors in them so that they can have their brain activity monitored by their employer.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news,
2: And so if the train conductor is a little bit sleepy, if they're distracted, even if they're just not feeling happy about the job they're doing, because, oh yeah, they can monitor that too. How are you feeling about the work you're doing? So if you show some sense of dissatisfaction, there's a possibility, it's just a possibility that they say, you know what, you should go home. We can see you're not excited about having your brainwaves monitored while you do this work for not enough money. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and send you home and get somebody who's happier to be doing this job. This already exists. It's already being used in certain professions and certain countries around the world. And although I can see the positive aspects of it, I mean, a safer world is a better world in some cases. They want to monitor your brain activity. <laughs> All right. So Ms. Farahani has kind of laid out the situation, described the technology to us, and she's already anticipating our um, apprehensive reaction. So let's hear what she has to say about that.
0: Monitored, And it, may wear, it very well may be something that we want to embrace as a society. Okay, you might be shuddering. Right? That was certainly my first reaction when I discovered that we are tracking brainwave activity in the workplace and that we can do it at all.
2: Okay, really quick. I didn't notice until now. She said, Okay, you might be shuddering, but she said it kind of fast and kind of low, so you might not have heard it clearly. You might be shuddering. S H U D D E R. Shudder. Shutter. And to shudder is kind of like that. Um, I'm going to actually look for a definition while I explain it. So, shudder of a person, tremble conv- convulsively. It was hard to say. To tremble convulsively, typically as a result of fear or revulsion. Yeah, basically, what it means is like when you shake, you tremble. Your body shakes and trembles because you're afraid of something. So when you hear about this technology monitoring your brain waves, you might be like,
1: oh, shit, what the
2: the fuck is going on like like you just saw a ghost or something like that you shudder you kind of like shake a little bit because you're afraid so she's saying you might be shuddering you might be definitely afraid or at least slightly concerned with the idea that the government your employers and who knows who else could be monitoring your brainwave activity but not to fear she says okay i just wanted to explain that really quick let's go back and i'll play it again
0: okay You might be shuddering, right? That was certainly my first reaction when I discovered that we are tracking brainwave activity in the workplace and that we can do it at all. But I believe we need to have a much more nuanced conversation about it. Because I think done well, neurotechnology has extraordinary promise. Done poorly, it could become the most oppressive technology we've ever introduced in a wide scale across society. We still have the chance to make it right. All right, well does the same analysis hold true if instead of trying to monitor whether a person is falling asleep or awake, we decide that we wanna monitor their attention levels to see whether or not they're paying attention and being productive? I would argue maybe not. How many of you wear something like an Apple Watch? Fitbit, smart device? Yeah, many people, it's a many billion dollar company, I mean many billion dollar industry at this point, wearable devices, quantifiable self, is just a widespread movement. Most people are very comfortable with at least some forms of human quantification. In fact, it's become so widespread that most people feel like there's not that much to worry about when it comes to doing something like monitoring your heart rate.
2: All right, really quick, I just noticed I had an opportunity to explain what she just said. She's talking about how wearable devices, Apple Watches, Fitbits, all these kind of things, it's so widespread that, you know, what did she say? That most people feel like there's not that much to worry about when it comes to something like monitoring your heart rate. So widespread just means like really common across the globe, across your country or whatever, lots of people have accepted this. It's really common, you can see it everywhere. This technology is widespread. So the idea of monitoring some aspect of the human body, you know, in all of your activity, it's so widespread, it's so common that most people don't really see much of a problem being monitored in this way. That's kind of the idea, okay? So let me go back a little bit and we'll continue.
1: Some forms
0: of human quantification. In fact, it's become so widespread that most people feel like there's not that much to worry about when it comes to doing something like monitoring your heart rate. But it turns out that that kind of technology in the workplace, particularly when it's used to monitor productivity of employees, where they're moving throughout the factory floor, whether or not they're taking breaks or unscheduled breaks, is the kind of thing that employees resist, unionize against, rise up against, and undermines morale. What we've seen consistently is companies from Amazon to Tesco to Walmart and others have introduced what is considered to be bossware or surveillance technology that employees really don't like it even if it makes their lives better. Okay, well if you don't like your job, just quit. But what if there's nowhere to go? What if everywhere has ubiquitous monitoring? In fact, during the pandemic, what we found was that 80% of companies admitted that they use at least some forms of so-called bossware technology to monitor the productivity of their employees. Whether it's a white collar uh, employee, monitoring what's on their screen, or in any other context, surveillance is part of our everyday lives. Surveillance for productivity is part of what has become the norm in the workplace and maybe with good reason. Nine out of 10 employees waste time during the workday, they focus on other things. There may be good reasons why we want to be able to find better ways to monitor whether somebody is paying attention or they're doing something different. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. These ear pod-
2: So really quick, she's got a picture of these These earpods or these earbuds, earphones, you hear them called different things. She's got this picture of them on the screen and they look just like any other earbuds that you've ever seen. Totally normal, except they don't just play music. And then just to kind of summarize what she said a minute ago, that companies like Amazon, Tesco, um, I don't remember the other one. She's ah, Walmart. They've already tried to introduce some form of this boss wear or... You know surveillance technology, and the employees really don't like it, even if it makes their lives better, if they can understand their brain even more. They just don't like the idea of being monitored and watched, especially by their employers. You know what I mean? Because then their employers can see when they're wasting time, when they're not focused, when they're taking unscheduled breaks and all these things. It just feels like you're being policed at work, which is what you already have to do. You kind of have to self-police And behave a certain way and think a certain way and talk a certain way, dress a certain way. So the idea of more surveillance for most employees is just not a very interesting or attractive or appealing idea, you know. But then she goes on to say that nine out of 10 employees admit that they waste time when they're at work. So we actually might want this because we would like to make ourselves more productive, you know, healthier and all these things. There are actual good reasons to monitor people's brainwave activity, right? Okay, so let's continue. She's talking about the earbuds now.
0: Ways to monitor whether somebody is paying attention or they're doing something different. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. Okay, well you might think, fine, but even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, you can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. Turns out that you can not only tell whether, whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise.
2: All right, my friend. So just to make it clear, they not only can monitor, whether or not you're paying attention. They can determine what it is you're paying attention to. So your employer might be able to tell if you're actually focused on writing the report that he or she just told you to write. They can tell if you're doing something else on your computer, like answering random emails or just reading a blog article or something. They can tell if you've taken your focus off of your computer and put it onto your phone, where you're now scrolling on social media. They'll be able to Not they will be able to. It's already possible to do this and monitor and decode your brainwave activity. So now the question is, what do we do with this very powerful yet very frightening technology? Let's hear what Ms. Farahani has to say.
0: And surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology, but it's putting it in the hands of employees, enabling them to use it for themselves as a choice. Whether or not they want to focus, whether or not they want the technology in order to improve their own performance, but not using it, as a measure of their brain metrics to decide whether to fire them, hire them, or to watch for their lagging cognitive decline over time and using it as a way to discriminate against them. We might soon even use the technology to help people wake back up. This is a haptic scarf that MIT Media Lab has developed, which uses brainwave technology in a responsive way to give a person a little buzz, (laughs) literally. When their mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention.
2: Man, these motherfuckers. All right. So that last thing she just mentioned was she put a picture of a woman wearing a like a scarf, a blanket looking piece of material over her shoulders while she was writing in her notebook. And she's saying MIT, the prestigious university, I believe up in, is it Boston, somewhere in Massachusetts? They um, have developed a scarf or a blanket that will be able to monitor your brainwave activity and sense or detect when you've lost focus. And it will give you an electric shock to wake you up and then you can recenter your focus. And it's funny because at this part in the speech, I kind of, I got to understand the purpose of this speech a little bit better because while I was listening initially I was so fucking skeptical I'm like man I was already you know a little bit concerned about the power of AI and then here comes this woman talking about brain wave activity decoding technology to where whoever's controlling it can decode the, the waves in my brain the electrical signals my brain is sending out and tell what I'm thinking about, how I'm feeling, what I'm about to do, if I'm focused or not. I'm like, man, you got me fucked up. There's no way. There's no way. So I was super skeptical. And I'm like, this lady is trying to act like she's doing the world a favor by introducing this technology so that we can all be monitored and surveilled 100% of the time. But at at the, the last part of the clip I just played, she was saying, this has great potential, but... Not in the case of putting this technology in the hands of governments and employers. That's not where it becomes a good thing. The the positive aspect, the potential we have is to put this in the hands of the employee. The one who, who personally decides I want to improve my focus or I want to understand my brainwave activity. I want to use this to make myself better. We don't put it in the hands of the employer. We put it in the hands of the individual, the employee that wants to improve their own performance. You know, we should not be using this as a way to basically evaluate employees and say, oh, your brainwave activity is down. That's a reduction in your pay. You've been losing focus too much at work. You're fired. You see what I'm saying? We shouldn't be using it that way. This is what Ms. Farahani is really here to tell us about. And and you'll see this as she continues speaking. It's the position I believe she's taking is, hey, This is not the future. This technology is here right now. It already exists. It has for many years. People in other countries and certain professions are already using it. And we still have time to put up laws and regulations and and some type of code of ethics for the use of this God-like technology. And so she's, she's here to warn us. She's here to raise awareness of this technology so that we can start talking about it and then put pressure on Government officials to regulate this shit to protect our our civil rights. You understand what I'm saying? That's the idea and the point of this speech. If you ask me, I'm gonna try to get Ms. Farahani on my podcast to uh, hear her speak more about this, but um, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, I just wanted to make it clear because you, kind of like me, might be sitting here listening to this and be super skeptical. Like, man, fuck this lady and her fucking technology. She can go fuck herself. There's no way I'm putting on. Surveillance tech, so my employers and government can know what I'm thinking about whenever they want. Fuck that. So, if you're feeling like I was feeling, just know she's not saying this technology is only amazing and we should adopt it as soon as possible. She's saying it's amazing, it has great potential to make life better for a lot of people, but we need to be careful, very, very careful about how we use it. Okay. So, let's continue. Now, she's going to talk about the tech being used in the workplace.
0: Way to give a person a little buzz, <laughs> literally,
2: shocking scarf. when their
0: mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention. There's another pathway forward with this technology which I find to actually be quite exciting and something that I think companies should be experimenting with, and that is the use of the technology to make the workplace a more responsive workplace to the individual worker. We've all heard the whole idea that robots are coming for our jobs, that there will be no jobs left for humans. With generative AI, I think we have good reason to wonder how we're going to integrate that in ways that keep us relevant and challenged and important uh, in the workplace. But there's a different pathway forward, which is a responsive workplace. One where humans and robots and AI work seamlessly together in order to optimize a better and healthier workplace. In one experiment, Penn State researchers were able to show that by monitoring brainwave activity with AI in a factory setting, the robot could sense stress levels in the individual and change the speed with which they were giving tasks to the human, calibrating it so that rather than suffering from cognitive overload, it would bring it to levels of cognitive load. This idea of cognitive ergonomics is what I think is the future of the healthier workplace, a place that adapts to our abilities, slows down when we need to slow down, and helps us to reset so that we don't suffer from endless cycles of stress. In fact, Microsoft recently did a study on uh, employees during the pandemic using brainwave activity, they were able to discover a couple of interesting insights. One is Zoom-based or other video-based meetings are more tiring for our brains than in-person conversations. And this is because of misaligned gaze, because of also the way we've scheduled it. People do back-to-back meetings where you had five-minute breaks in between. They also discovered something else that's quite interesting, which is that the different backgrounds for each person is also more stressful for the brain, so they introduced together mode, which has the same shared background for each of the employee, each of the people who are on the screen, which brings down stress levels. All responsive to brainwave activity. These are innovations that can make our lives better.
2: All right. So, Ms. Farahani has given us a couple examples of how uh, the monitoring of our brainwave activity can be used for good. For example, she spoke about the warehouse and how this one company was using this technology with their employees, and they, the technology can sense when the employee is getting tired. The brain is starting to lose focus, and thus the job is not getting done in the best way that it could. So then the robot says, oh, this person's getting tired. Let me give them tasks a bit more slowly. Let me introduce new things to do a bit more slowly so that they have time to recover, regain en- regain energy, and regain focus. That's a good thing, right? Less stress, you know, more productivity, everybody goes home happy. Then another example, I guess Microsoft did a study on their employees during the pandemic and they were measuring brainwave activity and they discovered a few interesting things. The first one is that video-based meetings are more tiring for the brains than in-person meetings. So Zoom calls are much more stressful and tiring than sitting in the office with your coworkers and bosses actually having a meeting. And another thing that tires the brain is the fact that when you're on a Zoom call with, you know, 5, 10, 15 different people a day, each person's in a different location, therefore each background on the screen is different, which tires the brain. So simply having the same video background for each person you speak to throughout the day in these video calls will reduce the amount of stress and fatigue your brain experiences. That's, that's an interesting discovery, you know what I mean? And the reason that they believe that they should be able to monitor our brainwave activity. So let's hear Ms. Farahani speak about the pathway forward. Where do we go from here?
0: Each of the people who are on the screen, which brings down stress levels, all responsive to brainwave activity. These are innovations that can make our lives better. So what's the pathway forward? In some ways and in some contexts, surveillance of the human brain can be powerful, helpful, useful, transform the workplace and make our lives better. It also has a dystopian possibility of being used to exploit and bring to the surface our most secret self. It threatens fundamentally what our own self-identity is in some ways, and threatens to become a tool of oppression. But we can make a choice. We can make a choice to use it well. We can make a choice to have it be something that empowers individuals, that helps them gain insights into their own mental health and well-being, improves their own productivity and wellness, and sets them on a pathway where, like quantifying your heart rate or other kinds of health, It can be something that unlocks potential for humanity. We can't decode speech, and we may never decode full thoughts from the brain using simple wearable devices. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot we can already decode. There isn't a lot that we will not be able to decode in the coming days. As AI becomes more powerful, as the sensors become more powerful, more and more of what's in the brain will become transparent. I believe we have to start by recognizing a right to cognitive liberty. This is a right to self-determination over our brains and mental experiences. It requires that we update existing international human rights like freedom of thoughts, mental privacy, and self-determination over our own mental experiences. But that's not enough. We have to do more, and corporations have to adopt best practices for the implementation of this technology. That requires being transparent about what data is being collected and for what purposes. Focusing on positive uses for employees to improve their workplace productivity, increase safety, and decrease the burdens on individuals. We also have to be mindful of the changing landscape of biometric laws as this information becomes part of the workplace environment and decide to move forward in a way that is best for humanity, using the technologies and ways that enable us on a pathway forward rather than oppress us. I think that's a possibility we can still choose. I hope it's one that you'll join me in choosing. Wow.
2: All right, my friend. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let me just recap that last part. The pathway forward, according to Ms. Farahani, is really realizing how powerful this technology is, how much potential it has to make life better for all of us. But at the same time, understanding, respecting, and then, uh, let's say, preventing the potential dangers of this technology. We shouldn't be using it to oppress people. We shouldn't be using it as surveillance on employees and, and things like that to, me- to monitor their brainwave activity and hire, promote, demote, or fire them based on that brain activity, this isn't what we should be doing. We should be using it to make people more productive, more efficient, you know, to improve their mental health and things like that. So we really need to think deeply about our, our basic civil rights, our right to privacy, right? Does, does the right to, for example, in the United States of America, the First Amendment of the, the U.S. Constitution is the right to free speech? And so an interesting question is, does that include freedom of thought? That's not necessarily written into, that part wasn't included. You see what I'm saying? So we have the right to say what we want, theoretically, but do we have the right to think what we want? And do we have the right to deny other people access to those thoughts? And you might say, uh, fucking yeah, obviously, And you might not. I don't know. But the point is, it's a discussion that should be had. I believe that's what Ms. Farhani is saying, is we still have time to really think about this, to really talk about it from different perspectives, different points of view, you know, different cultural backgrounds. Everybody should be kind of like figuring out what it is they really think about this and also accept the fact that it will be affecting us in one way or another in the very near future. This is like, this technology already exists, bro. It already exists. So again, the point of this speech, I believe is to kind of warn people about what's coming and basically let us know we still have time to make it right before it goes wrong. You know, we still have time to put laws and regulations in place that protect the individuals as opposed to the very small number of people who understand and sell this technology. You know, so now I'd like to know what you think about this technology. Is it innovative and exciting or is it cause for alarm? Maybe a little bit of both. I guess none of us will really know and only time will tell. But if you want to hear more about this subject, then considering subscribing to Real English Radio on Patreon, because in the next bonus episode, we'll be listening to Nita Farahani share some personal stories and talk in more detail about the right to cognitive liberty. And by the way, Patreon is a platform that allows you to support independent creators like myself with a few dollars a month. And in exchange, you'll get exclusive bonus content and early access to new episodes. So if you're interested in supporting head on over to patreon.com slash Tony Kaizen, or just click the link in the description. And I want to thank all my current Patreon supporters as well, because your monthly subscription enables me to keep the show going. And I really appreciate you. Now, I want to thank you all for your time and attention, my friends. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Real English Radio. I'm your host, Tony Kaizen, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.